Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast where a couple pastor scholars dig into the Word of God using a seasonally appropriate scripture passage. We hope that it will be enjoyable and edifying for all and equipping for pastors or teachers who are working on sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary and Indiana Wesleyan University. My guest this week is Aaron Perry. Uh, Dr. Aaron Perry is a uh, fellow professor at Wesley Seminary, and he teaches leadership and pastoral theology and uh, and is one of the uh, longtime repeated guests here on Fresh Text. Um, So our text this week is Genesis 24, verses 34 through 67. Genesis 24, 34 through 67, continuing our series through Genesis this summer. Make sure to uh, subscribe if you're not already so you never miss an episode. And if you're listening and enjoying the show, uh, hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice to pass this show along to others so they might benefit as well. Thanks as always for listening and enjoy this conversation with Aaron. do this. So Genesis uh, chapter 24, verses 34 through 67. It's a longer passage, but for context, it works well to just do the whole thing. Uh, Do you want to read or should I read? I'll read. Great. So you read Genesis 24, verses 34 through 67. And I'll say a word of prayer and then we'll jump in. All right. So from the NIV. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master abundantly, and he has become wealthy. He has given him sheep and cattle, silver and gold, manservants and maidservants and camels and donkeys. My master's wife, Sarah, has borne him a son in her old age, and he has given him everything he owns. And my master made me swear an oath and said, You must not get away from my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live, but go to my father's family and to my own clan and get a wife for my son. Then I asked my master, What if the woman will not come back with me? He replied, The Lord, before whom I have walked, will send his angel with you and will make your journey a successful one, so that you can get a wife for my son, from my own clan, and from my father's family. Then, when you go to my clan, you will be released from my oath, even if they refuse to give her to you. You will be released from my oath. When I came to the spring today, I said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, if you will, please grant success to the journey in which I have come. See, I am standing beside this spring. If a maiden comes out to draw water and I say to her, please let me drink a little water from your jar. And if she says to me, drink, and I'll draw water for your camels too, let her be the one the Lord has chosen for my master's son. Before I finished praying in my heart, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. She went down to the spring and drew water, and I said to her, Please give me a drink. She quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I'll water your camels too. So I drank, and she watered the camels also. I asked her, Whose daughter are you? She said, The daughter of Bethuel, son of Nahor, whom Milcah bore to him. Then I put the ring in her nose and the bracelets on her arms, and I bowed down and worshipped the Lord. I praised the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me on the right road to get the granddaughter of my master's brother for his son. Now, if you will show kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me so I may know which way to turn. 
Laban and Bethuel answered, This is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here is Rebekah. Take her and go, and let her become the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has directed. When Abraham's servant heard what they had said, he bowed down to the ground before the Lord. Then the servant brought out gold and silver jewelry and articles of clothing and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave costly gifts to her brother and to her mother. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night there. When they got up the next morning, he said, Send me on my way to my master. But her brother and her mother replied, Let the girl remain with us ten days or so, then you may go. But he said to them, Do not detain me now that the Lord has granted success to my journey. Send me on my way so I may go to my master. Then they said, Let's call the girl and ask her about it. So they called Rebekah and asked her, Will you go with this man? I will go, she said. So they sent her sister Rebekah on her way, along with her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the gates of their enemies. Then Rebekah and her maids got ready and mounted their camels and went back with the man. So the servant took Rebekah and left. Now Isaac had come from Beer Lahiroi, for he was living in the Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate, and as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebekah also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked the servant, Who is that man in the field coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac all he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother Sarah, and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. There ends the reading of God's word, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for this word of God preserved for us and this beautiful story of the continuing of the line of Abraham. And Father, we ask that uh, in this time we have set aside for study and reflection and counsel, that, uh, that the words of our heart, the words of our mouth, and the meditations of all our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Okay, so what are you noticing? What jumps out at you today? What are you observing? Uh, I mean, part of, part of it is that you have this total, at least a chunk of retelling of the same story. Mm-hmm. So we didn't, we didn't uh, read it, but a big, big chunk of this is retold from just the, the passage before. Yeah, when that happens, there's like two ways to deal with that in, in like a preaching context. Do you, do you do the original narrative and then skip, you know, because it's just too long otherwise? Here, I mean, they chose to kind of put his retelling because then it just flows right into it. And I was glancing at it. Sometimes when there's a retelling, there's like stark changes, you know, mm. that are sort of suggestive of something. I didn't notice any, but maybe there's something I missed. But mm. um, there wasn't any like little trickery going on where he <laughs> changed the details to make a point, you know. Yeah, sometimes there's a change. And sometimes just the, the repetition of it is to communicate the importance of it. Like, yeah. this, this is a really important story. Don't miss it. You know, and in, in case you missed it, I'm going to tell you again. 
Here it is again. Well, and you know, we know the story the first time it's told, but Laban and Bethuel don't know it until they hear the story from, Mm -hmm. from Abraham's servant. And yes, so this is their kind of, you, you almost have to picture them sitting there while he's telling the story. It makes me think of, uh, there's uh, the character. I think it's the the, the actor is Michael Pena, and he's like good friends uh, with uh, the Ant Man character in the Ant Man movies. Do you know what I mean? And I don't know if you've seen those, but when he like tells stories, like tells stories real fast, he talks real fast like this. And when he's telling the story, it actually shows the story, but it's just still his voice. And so you have the different characters all speaking, but it's his voice. You know, you can almost like picture a little flashback here of him telling the story, real excited. And them sitting on the edge of their seat, learning of what took place, you know, and their excitement and their anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. It's a story within a story as it were. Right. Yeah. Cause this would have been told sitting around in the same way as the story is being told in the moment. Uh, also uh, noting the, the desire he has to go and to leave and how that gets delayed from time to time. Uh, so he's, he's had this request that, that his journey would be successful and this is what a successful journey would look like. And sure enough, that happens. And then he's eager to, to return and, and finish the, finish the job. But there's a, there's a delay, right? Let the girl remain with us 10 days or so. Then you may go. He says, don't detain me. They said, well, let's ask the girl and, and see. And so, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, I would like to delve into what part of this is customary or is it customary? And, or is there a, is there another something or other going on that might be more obvious to a reader that's not obvious to me at the moment? So what what what's going on in these in these exchanges? Are these pleasantries that are expected, or is this revealing something uh, that I that I wouldn't miss in, in my initial reading? Sure, sure. Yeah, the little bit I've done studying some of this kind of stuff. I mean, the notion that there would be a time to say goodbye would be quite standard. But what you're saying is very suggestive that there's kind of a, oh, well, let her stay for a while. And he's like, oh, please let me go right away. And it's kind of the part that actually is the most, uh, the one that sticks out is actually, well, let's ask her, right? Uh, that, that, That wouldn't always be the way to solve a problem between men who in the ancient world who would regard marriage as an exchange between Two yeah. men. It's just the way it works. And so there's a little bit of a disruption of expectation there, actually. Yeah. Uh, and and then it's a double irony because, of course, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure I, I could be reading into it. But I, I'm pretty sure uh, uh, Laban and Bethuel and the rest of them are uh, are expecting her to say, uh, no, I'd like to say goodbye for 10 days or so. Right. <laughs> and it's like even the way it's said, right will you go with this man? It's kind of like the, the, the default answer is no, right? Like when, when your dad says, would you like to leave with some guy? The answer is no, no, no. I'd like to stay a little longer. You know? Yeah. yeah. So I think it's kind of a, whoa, she's that that's the Lord's work as much as everything else up to this point is this kind of uh, desire on her part to, to, to make this happen, you know, mm-hmm. having not even met the man she's going to, that she's been betrothed to. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe maybe there's a bit of a, uh, as we, as we will come to discover what kind of person Laban is, maybe we understand why she's eager to leave. (laughs) Ah, Oh, that's a good point. 
And, but I mean, I was also thinking about just uh, at, at times there are stories whenever, whenever there has been not a timely uh, exit from hospitality that, that there's, there's bad news. Uh, I'm thinking about the end of judges and uh, the mm-hmm. Levite who goes to retrieve his concubine and he's delayed. Right. And it's stay with us, stay with us. You know, I need to be on my way. And that obviously ends horrifically. And I was thinking of one of the prophets, I think it was to, to Jeroboam. And, and he says, uh, you're going to be removed as king of Israel. And this young prophet is on his way back. And, and he's like, I have to go right away. And he, he gets started on that. And he leaves right away. And then another prophet entices him into hospitality. And he kind of misguides him. And the, so there's other stories that have this kind of, the, there's, a, there's a risky element to, to not abide the timing that seems to be of the Lord. And, and not, that seems not to be wise. And here it's like this, um, the servant of Abraham wants to, re- wants to return, wants to be successful. And there's this, like, there's this enticing to stay and this desire to stay. And I, I don't know if there's, if there's anything to it. It's just those are the stories that are coming to mind when I'm thinking about this one or reading this one for the first time in a while. No, that's really striking. And, and it's a recurring theme in, in the whole book of Genesis of these, these encounters of hospitality they're crucial in the way they advance the story. You know, just a just a little bit before we were looking at the passage uh, where uh, Abraham welcomes these strangers, and he he's doing everything he can to let them stay, and and then when it's time to go, you know, lets them go. But uh, no, I think that's that's a good insight. Now, I mean, you know, we don't have the the same maybe as uh, many uh, sort of unwritten hospitality rules in some of our modern cultures, but. But these dynamics are always at play. I've been noted they become more obvious in this this quarantine that we're in. I mean, this is the spring when we're recording this. It'll drop in the summer, but things the, the memory will be fresh and and it may still be in play. We'll see. I don't know where things are going to be at this summer, but with all these Zoom calls that people are were on, you know, and you actually sort of realize how many little all the little windows for departing that you used to have in like, I mean, I was just on a zoom call like last weekend where I sort of asked somebody like for the link to slip on and I came on and then I took off and then someone else was kind of sharing how like they were having our, they, they like didn't know when they could leave, you know, normally like it, it, the, the cues are more obvious, right? There's, especially even in a home, right? There's that obvious, like, Oh, we just moved from like dinner over to like dessert. You, you can slip like that's a time when you can leave, right? Because there's a there's a there's a law, there's a moment. Whereas like in a long in a Zoom session, you're like, it's all the same. There's no there's no natural kind of flow. And and again, that's just to 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 identify a kind of point of contact with the cultural dynamics here of like different cues that are being sent and whether they're getting through, um, and 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 how it's all playing out. Well, I've got a note in my uh, study Bible here. In verse 54, when he says, when they got up the next morning, he said, send me on my way to my master. That actually can be translated, I've got a hard stop at 10 a.m. <laughs> man, you built that up great. <laughs> I've got a hard out at 10 a.m., man. Hard stop, hard stop. Yeah, <laughs> that's what brings me back. Like, like, uh, And that, that's part of the benefit of of actually doing commentary work after you've done your observations and mm-hmm. having, you know, 
a, a measure of familiarity with multiple stories is now you're being clued in, not just to go to the commentary to see, to get answers, so to speak, but also what you're looking for and what in the text may have you been kind of primed to see that you otherwise wouldn't have, but now you are seeing because of some familiarity that somebody else who's done a, a breadth of study is able to go deeper for you. But the benefit of doing observation work like we're doing in the first place is like, Oh, now some of those small things don't, you don't just skim over or skip over whenever you do some commentary reading and research. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we've laid out a few in observations just to get us started. Um, before we press on, what would you say would be a kind of like, what's a sort of key sort of interpretive question that's grabbing your attention? We don't have to have it resolved this hour, you know, speaking of heart out, I know that this episode will need to be a little briefer. So we'll go, we're going to go, we're going to go fresh text classic here and just have two parts, right? We'll take our break and do sermon starters after the break. So, but before the break, what would be some maybe sort of deeper interpretive puzzles near the heart of the meaning of this passage? What, what else is kind of might be interesting to you to really explore more deeply, even if we can't resolve it today? I think part of what I would be interested in, and, and I'd try to look for uh, on second and third readings, and then maybe it's doing some, some review of the, the text around the story is uh, how active and present is the is the Lord, and so how providential mm. is this is this meeting? And at, at times, uh, at times you've got God being very active and and moving things around, and sometimes you know seemingly doing things right there, and then other times you've got God working through circumstance. And so maybe kind of checking in is is where is where is God invisibly active in this story? You know, right? There's a, there's quite a coincidence and and. Uh, the servant has this this language that he kind of puts out. If I'm if I say, please give me a little drink of water, and she says to me, right, he's got that played out that he's watching for. But are there other ways that the the text is cluing us in to God was active and we just didn't see it at the first glance? Yeah, no, that's great. That providence, and I. So here's the big interpretive question that's kind of on my mind today, and it would be, be interesting to see if these come together. Or, or diverge when we think of sermon starters. But so I'll just pitch it to you and then we'll take a break. I'm really fascinated by this servant and the way he talks to and about God as the God of his master. Mm. It's like really interesting picture of an outsider made insider, both by the one on the inside, Abraham, but also by his own for lack of a better term, piety, both. And it's not just the piety of, of uh, not, I don't mean that in the religious sense. I mean, it as his, his love for and respect for his master, you know, and he's sort of like, he wants to cling to the, the God of, of his, of his master. And I can't help, but like, this raises all these really, for me, interesting theological questions for me as a Gentile who is, a part of the family of Israel, not by blood or birth or circumcision or all the proper covenantal expectations. Right. But the thought of what it would mean, what it would, what it would be like to pray the way that this servant does. I so, I, I so wish we knew his name, but in a way it's almost better because it invites us in to be him in the story. Right. When you don't have a name um, to say that when I pray to the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
you know, I'm praying to the God of my master, namely my master Jesus, right? If you think of Paul's language and usually talking to Gentiles or at least mixed audiences in his letters, the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? They had gods all over the place. So he needed to be specific what he was talking about. And it's like the God of our Lord or master, you could translate Kurios as master. The thought of thinking of God, being reminded that, that the God that is our God in Christ is, is, is a foreign God. He's the God of this very specific family and, and, and he's drawn near to us, but we're in, we're in this family by grace through this. It's, it's this beautiful little parable of what it means to be graciously included in the family of God and what it means to be a servant. I mean, he's not earning his inclusion, but he's being faithful to his inclusion. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that's too straying from the text to be relevant to, but that was what was kind of stirring in my heart today reading. Uh, well, it, make, it makes me think about maybe some of the, the cues that we had about, about exits and maybe there are cues in the text as to his belonging in the household and what one he's longing to return. Ah. To. Like he's talking about, send me back, right? Send me back that there's still a, there's still a, a deferral or still a, uh, a sign of, of honoring and respecting the, the place where he's a guest, but they're a yearning to return to the household from which he was sent in the first place. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. He is, he does not, he, he, he treats his, his master with respect, but he does not treat, think of himself as an alien. You know, he, that's his home. That's his household. That's where he belongs. And he longs to get back there. Yeah, cool. Let's take a quick break and come back and explore some sermon starters. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Aaron Perry, um, first original co-founder of the uh, Fresh Text pod and helped over many, uh, many months and over well over a year and a half now uh, working out the our format. And for time reasons, we're going Fresh Text Classic this week and just going in two parts. So we did some observing and some initial interpretive questions. And now we're going to explore some sermon starters together, looking at Genesis 24, verses 34 through 67. So Genesis 24, verses 34 through 67. So speaking of Fresh, fresh Text Classic, what's, uh, what's your angle? What's, what's your winkle? <laughs> Uh, well, it's, it's what angle would you take? Keying off a couple of things that we talked about. One was uh, looking at how the story is told. So, what's the structure of the story? Because uh, some of it's repeated, but now it's it's being told to to Laban, and he's giving this a, account of it, and seeing how the the servant has told it. The first words: "I am Abraham's servant." So, not not out of the ordinary to start with. Who's the telling, right? But Certainly that's there. I am Abraham's servant. And then uh, what God has done for him, the Lord has blessed my master abundantly. He's become wealthy. He's given him sheep, cattle, silver, right? There's this, there's this sense of giving Laban uh, an accurate, but also a portrayal that's meant to uh, get him ready for what the ultimate request is going to be. Right. And then contrasting that maybe with, with at the end that there's maybe some hesitancy to see these households, have a have a connection in this marriage and you know he's delaying his his being sent back and he's finally saying as you pointed out uh, well let's ask the girl and it seems maybe there's a sense uh we're also we're not just seeing the character of laban but we're also seeing the character of of rebecca 
that uh, she has great wisdom to join up with this household, to join up with this place where uh, this household on whom God's favor is, is resting and for whom his provision, mm. his provision is so, is so thick. So um, I think I would want to play with that a little bit, a little bit more. I think there's a, I think there's some sermonic things in there that you could work with. Yeah. You mentioned earlier when I was asking questions about like Providence and, and I wonder if there could be a really real, just simple sermon or teaching on paying attention to Providence. There's the paying attention to Providence of just seeing God's blessing at work in Abraham. And then the, the particular Providence of seeing, uh, asking God for a particular kind of sign. But then interestingly, I think it's even a good example for, for those of us in churches where people are perhaps resistant to looking for little signs to say, Hey, there's a place for that. This is, we're just, this is a a prayerful interaction with God. And then for those who are maybe in churches where maybe we're a little too excited about seeing signs everywhere. It's actually very interesting that although he sees this, he asks for something, he sees it happen. He narrates it. He still negotiates with Laban and and her family, right? He doesn't sort of say, God said this is the one, so I'm taking her, uh, get on board or not. Like I I think of a lot of, uh, like uh, someone who's like maybe, I've seen this happen, someone coming up for like ordination in a denomination, right? And and they have like a story of God's call and it's kind of like, well, God told me to be a preacher. So you guys are just in the way because you're making me like, you know, have some maturity and like take some classes. Right. (laughs) And it's a, it's a great example of like, you don't have to choose between divine intervention and human negotiation. That that's, you see those coming together here. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And he, he's confident he's pressing the matter. He says, no, it's time to go. I got to go. But at the same time, he's not just, you know, trying to force, force their hand beyond what is within his sphere of, of possible. Cause I mean, he is a servant. He's in over his head. He's, he's outranked by this family. He doesn't, you know, he's their guest. Not, not only do the hospitality rules apply, but the fact is, is he's a, he's a servant of, you know, uh, another family that would be more quote equal to, to Laban. And so there's a kind of, he's somewhat at their mercy. And so, I, I don't know. I, just, I think there's something to be learned there because I've tended to fall into overcompensating one or the other. You know, it's kind of like, well, if if I feel like I've had some instruction from God, like why would I let <laughs> uh, people get in my way? But then you kind of have to be like, that's how it works, man. Because if God is providing, he's also going to provide a softening of hearts. Or if there's a hardening of hearts, he's going to make use of that as well so that, so that uh, he'll be praised and the story will proceed. But I don't know. Just a thought. I've been reading a systematic theology uh, book recently by Catherine Sonderegger. And one of the themes that she picks up in scripture is this theme of in God's invisibility, that, mm. that um, God's invisibility is his unique mode of interacting with creation that we cannot interact in invisible ways. Uh, but for God, that's his unique way of doing so. And so there's some ways in here that God is is overtly acting. I mean, this this exchange of you know word word for word what's been requested is what's being is is what's unfolding. But then there's also the uh, the way that the servant is attempting to participate in the invisible work of God. 
And maybe, maybe he's been attuned to it by having seen the provision of God that's been extravagant. Right? The, the extravagant provision of God has not made him dependent on that. It's attuned him to the invisible, the invisible God. And now he's, he's uh, acting in, in even a, uh, a really important way. Right? Like, he's, like this servant has become a very important actor in securing this deal. You know, he's prayed, yeah. he's prayed it out, you know, God give me success, make it, make me successful. He's, he's attested that this is God answering my prayer, right? Like he's attested as he tells the story to Laban, this is, God has made me successful, but he's still, he's still going out and, and being courageous to speak the words and being wise in, in the, in the gifts that he's providing and the ways he's going about this request and humbly deferring to their request to ask Rebecca if she wants to go or stay. So I think that, you know, there's, there's ways to, I think there's an, an interesting way to see, you know, your question back to the question that you had, the hermeneutical question that you had about providence is different ways that God is active and how does, how mm. is this servant following or being formed by providence and then following providence when it's not as uh, explicit? Yeah, I've been learning to, as I've been doing a lot more Old Testament study this year and learning both refreshing my mind and also learning some new techniques of reading narratives. And one of the things that I've been being pushed on, and this relates to what you're talking about, is to notice when when does Adonai appear in the story as a character, either speaking or an omniscient narrator, as it were, speaking of divine action. And when is God showing up, Adonai showing up, on the lips of the characters. Does that make sense? And this is super connected. I'm not just changing the subject. If it sounded like it, I apologize, but uh, to the invisibility of God, right? Cause here is one of these stories where I, I, I went back through like with a comb, like a couple times now, once even just again, as we were talking, like, and I was listening to you and I was thinking like, does how overt is it? Cause it's overt for him, but not for anyone else. We have to just trust his story because it doesn't say that the Lord appeared or that the Lord spoke, right? He's neither speaking nor appearing in this story. He, he's on the lips of the character and that doesn't make it invalid. It just, we got to recognize that that means his own experience desires, as you mentioned, Hey, he's seen how the provision plays out in Abraham's life, right? He's learned how to pay attention, but that, that it's a real powerful story of faith. I mean, obviously Abraham had, had great faith in trusting the promise and waiting on the promise. A flip side, he heard the voice of the Lord, saw the form of God, right? He, he, he had something to cling to in the years as he waited for the promise. Uh, this guy, probably not, right? It's all, it's, it's almost a truer faith because it's simply rooted on the witness of uh, Abraham and the evidence in his life, right? So he, he draws the conclusion that, that this God must be real. So he kind of, and you almost get this sense that maybe, I don't know, but maybe he may, he may never have had as uh, an intimate sort of connection to God before until this task was given him, you know, like he may have just always kind of taken for granted that Abraham as the patriarch of this household is the one doing the (laughs) relating to God. Right. Um, you, You wonder if he's almost like entering into a kind of, uh, deeper uh, trust and uh, sort of also taking risks in his, in his interactions with the Lord. He may never have 
he may never have asked a direct question of Adonai before, <laughs> um, or made or made such a bold request. Um, it's wild to imagine this, 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 you know, might be a, just a kid or not. It's not clear, but w- that this, uh, that this, uh, oh no, he's not a kid. I just looked back verse two to his servant, the oldest of his household. So he's the one that the overseer, he's the kind of head servant as it were. Yeah. So, so, but this, uh, this mature servant then sort of entering into something deeper in his uh, learning to trust God and pay attention to the providence of God, to have faith in the invisible God who's working behind the scenes uh, in this whole story uh, every step of the way. Yeah. I don't know how it clicks with you, but uh, I'm, I'm thinking of earlier today, we were in another meeting and, and you had the, you had the phrase never waste a crisis, right? There, there are some, <laughs> that, there are some things that can, that can come about, with expediency because of context. And there are some things that can only come out, come about slowly and with, and with risk. And I'm thinking mm-hmm. about how this story starts with the, with the promise that he makes to Abraham and the, the, uh, his placing his hand under his thigh, right? It's a total dependency. He's like, this is Abraham needs this chief servant to get this job done. Or it's, you know, this is the, the act of placing his hand uh, in his thigh is like this total act of, of uh, exposure and trust and, and um, requests. Right. And it's like, it's like the job is only going to get done if this chief servant does it. And now um, Abraham has shared that, that moment, that moment deeply with him. And now the servant is only going to have this intimacy with God. If he goes on this journey himself. And then that, that sense of, I mean, even within the servant, there's a, there's a narrative arc in it of, of departure, action, and return, right? Like the, lo- the long voyage home. And and here, I think that, so this is to go back to what you're saying, is like uh, the servant would only be able to have seen these things come about and would only have had his faith tested in a personal way as it was with Ab- without Abraham present. Yeah. And now, uh, you know, what a gift Abraham has given to him to have put him, to have sent him on this mission. Right to have to have sent them away, and uh, you know, one I wonder maybe there's that that anticipation of this sense that the the servant realizes, oh, he's like he's clicking into all of what's happened to him and what's gone on and what he's just experienced and this desire to get home and share it again with Abraham, right? To 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 share the to share the victory, to share the the provision that God has given to share the yeah, and, and it even says the servant told verse 66, the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. So they could have actually done the story a third time. Yeah. <laughs> well, I did this and I asked God for this and he, yeah. she came out and I, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, the whole story again. No, I think that's spot on. I think uh, never, God never wastes a crisis, right? That in the loss of nearness, Right. When proximity to the kind of spiritual center of this man's life, the loss of that by way of this task actually creates an opportunity for um, a direct encounter with the invisible providential working of God. Something that all of a sudden maybe Abraham makes sense to him on a whole new level because he's kind of seeing how how God is at work in his life because he's getting to experience it. Firsthand, right? It reminds me of that line at the end of the Samaritan woman story where the, where the people from the town, it literally has them say, 
At first we believed because of what you told us, but now we believe because we have heard his word for ourselves, right? It's almost like, uh, it's like straight out of like a, it's a, it's a thing you hear youth pastors say all the time, right? Like not just believing your parents, what your parents believe, but believing it for yourself, right? This is kind of happening to him in yeah. this whole story. Yeah. Well, this is fun. I know, I know you got to go and I got to go too. So, uh, I, it was really, we really ended up focusing on this character and his kind of journey. And of course, there's there's 16 other sermons here that focus on different characters and what this was like for for Isaac while he was waiting back, or for Rebecca as she took this leap. But uh, so here's there's one sermon idea for for y'all listeners out there. Uh, um, so thanks so much uh, for the time you gave, Aaron. Thanks to uh, Todd and Eric and all their great production work. I can't imagine doing this without them. Thanks to Tom Adamson for doting the theme music. And with that said, we say. Have a great week and have a good preach. Bye-bye.